All right, so tonight we're going to kick off, introduce uh, a, a new study um, that we'll really get into in two weeks. So that's good news for you uh, because we're going to be walking through a little book together. So that gives you time if you want to pick yourself up a copy, order it from Amazon or uh, drive over to like Grand Rapids and go to Baker Bookhouse and peruse their used book section. And um, it's just a fun thing to do if you like books. Um, and then you can get Krispy Kreme and Moe's while you're in Grand Rapids um, and you'll be blessed for it. Um, so, but go to Krispy Kreme when the hot light is on. Um, so, uh, it's just pro tip of Krispy Kreme. They make donuts if you've never had Krispy Kreme. Um, so, uh, and and this is free. So, those, those like spongy cake things they make at Dunkin', that's not a donut. Go to Krispy Kreme when the hot light's on. It melts in your mouth. I mean, it's just... Never had anything like it. Um, okay, so back to this. Um, so uh, we will be going through a book uh, called What is a Healthy Church Member? You can see it there on the screen. Just remember the title um, because you probably will not um, be able to spell the author's name, and I'm probably going to butcher the poor man's name, but his name is uh, Thabiti Anyabwile. Uh, he is... Um, when he wrote this, he was probably a pastor in Grand Cayman, but now he's a pastor. He planted a church outside of Washington, D.C. Um, so he has pastored for uh, a number of years. Um, but the book is What is a Healthy Church uh, Member? What is a Healthy Church Member? So this is uh, back in the fall. Uh, you may recall we walked through a book called What is a Healthy Church? Uh, this is sort of a follow-up or a companion piece to that, um, but instead of applying it to the, the big structure of the church. Uh, it, it looks at the people that make up the church and asks, so what makes a healthy church member? What makes a healthy part person who comes into a uh, making a healthy church? Uh, right? Because you, when you think about that, a, a church or any organization can have the healthiest structures or systems or ideas, um, but any church or organization is only really as healthy as the, the people that are part of it, right? Same as, same as, a, as a family or, or a club or a sports team or, or anything like that, right? Um, so like you could think like a sports team, right? So the, the Red Wings have tradition and they have championships and they have, you know, the system and they have the prestige and they have the nice arena. But you know what they have right now? A bad hockey team. Right? Like a really historically bad hockey team. So none of those other things really matter until the players improve. You have to have good players to make great systems and great coaching and great history worth anything. Same thing with a local church. Um, and so we're going to kind of introduce just this idea tonight. So uh, this is going to be mostly uh, interactive tonight. Uh, so... We'll, we'll roll into it. So um, you can just kind of throw these out. Um, so what are some of the, so when you think of the New Testament, what are some of the biblical pictures of the church? What are some of the images that the New Testament uses to talk about the church? Okay, a body. Okay, that's one. What else? A bride. Yes, the bride of Christ. Good. What else? A gathering. Yeah. Others. Love. Any others? Fellowship. 
community. Other pictures are uh, uh, the household or the family of faith or family of God. You get both of those. So that, that picture of a household, of a family, right? That's a, that's a, that's a picture to describe the reality. Um, some others are um, the vine and branches, right? So Jesus talks about that. I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, we often think about that passage in fairly individual terms. It's certainly in personal terms, but he speaks in the plural the whole time. One vine, multiple branches coming off of it, making a viney thing. I don't, I don't know what you call it after that. I'm not a farmer. Um, some other pictures. Um, a, a flock or a, a group of sheep, right? Others uh, are the temple of God. So both Paul and Peter uh, pick up this temple imagery, right? So Ephesians chapter 2. Um, so um, you are being built up as a temple of God for the Holy Spirit, uh, the apostles and prophets being the foundation, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Uh, Peter talks about that we're living stones being built up together into God's temple. Uh, Peter also uses the picture of a royal priesthood. Uh, Peter, in that same uh, section in 1 Peter, uses um, the picture of a people for God's special possession. Um, so we've got uh, a body, and so we get a couple different um, takes on that body picture. Um, sometimes it's the body with focus on body and head with who's the head of the body? Christ, Jesus, yep. Um, sometimes it's a focus on being members of that body. Um, so the parts that make up the body. So we've got vine and branches. Uh, the picture there being that Jesus is the source of our spiritual life, that we have to be connected to him. Uh, this idea of a household, a family of faith, um, sheep, flock. Um, in that picture of a, of a flock, right, there's a, there's a definitiveness, there's an identifiableness to the sheep that make up a flock, right? So does a shepherd know the sheep that are in his flock, right? So like a, a shepherd has, a, has, has an idea, has a knowledge of the sheep that are in his flock, that if a shepherd speaks of his flock, he doesn't mean the sheep down the road that belong to Billy, right? He means his sheep. Um, this idea of the bride of Christ, the temple of God, royal priesthood, uh, a people for his possession. Okay, so those are all pictures that we see in the New Testament uh, of the church. Um, and, they're, and they're pictures, right? Um, they are illustrations, they're metaphors, they're pictures given to describe some aspect, some reality of the church, because uh, we are not actually sheep, right? We understand it's a picture. Same with the, with the bride, same with vines and branches. We are not plants. Um, these, are, these are all a picture to express some reality. But at, so, so those pictures that we just looked at, so at their core, what do those pictures have in common? Because I think there's a few points that each of those share in common. What are some of the things that all of those pictures, vine and branches, living stones being built into a temple, uh, household of God, um, the, the family of faith, the, the sheep in a flock, the members in a body? Okay, multiple components. Okay, what else? 
Christ as the head or Christ as the source, right? So in all of those, in every single one of those, Christ is the, the one in charge. He's the head. He's the source of life, right? So um, he is the groom. We are the churches, the bride. Uh, we are the sheep. He is the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. Uh, he is the vine. We are the branches. We are the body. He is the head. Um, we are the temple. He's the one that is the foundation of the temple, that fills the temple. We're a priesthood. Well, it's because we're serving him. Um, we're a people. It's because we're his possession, right? So Christ is at the absolute center of all of them, okay? So so one, one, one kind of application of that to thinking about what's a healthy church member um, is that for a healthy church member and a healthy church, Christ has to be at the very center of it, right? It's Christ who unites us. It's Christ first and foremost who saves us, who brings us into this people, but then it's Christ who unites us, okay? Anything else? Any other things that they have in common? Dependence? Yeah, Relationship and dependence. Yep. Yeah. This this wasn't in my my notes, um, but there's also uh, they are all living metaphors, right? There is a vitality to every single one. So so even in the temple metaphor, both Peter and Paul are like, "Oh, you're living stones, right?" Like, what? What does that mean? Well, the point is, we're not just a bunch of people that just come together to do nothing. Right? We're filled with a vitality, with a spiritual life. Um, and then over here it was said, um, what did you say that again, how you said it? <laughs> yeah, multiple components, right? Um, and so I think that's one of the biggest things that comes out of all these pictures, um, is they are multiple components. So I w one way I would say that is that there is a legitimate personal element to being the church. The church is made up of individuals, right? Of people, of discernible, definable human beings, right? And there is this corporate group aspect of it, right? So there's a personal side and a corporate side. Um, and so that corporate life, right? That being part of a flock that being part of the household of faith, um, is all lived and experienced uh, in a specific locale, right? Because when you think about it, that is the only way we experience anything as human beings, right? We only experience things in a physical, like, space, time, location, right? Now, we are all a part of the universal church. So the church being made up of all the people of Jesus from all times and all places throughout history that ever have lived, lived, and ever will live. And there will be a day in eternity where we will see that church clearly, right? When, when we are gathered around the throne and there are people from every nation, tribe, and language, and tongue um, praising the Lamb, right? Okay, so then we'll see the church universal. But you know what? We will be experiencing it in some type of local, 
embodied way, right? Because we are going to have resurrection bodies that are glorified. So even in eternity, when we are together worshiping the Lamb with all the saints from all places of all times, it's still done in some type of corporate assembly manner. Now, what the rest of that looks like, I don't know, right? But there will be a new heavens and a new earth where we will dwell with God, right? Where we will have glorified resurrection bodies that will be like the glorified resurrection body that Christ has, right? So 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to think more about that. Um, so our eternal existence will still be an experienced reality in a corporate body, right? It won't be this, this kind of like ethereal floating about like in the universal church. No, we'll experience it. Like, we experience everything except better. Yeah. 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 We will be like he is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Those are all pictures of, of common, real-life, tangible, gritty stuff. Flocks and marriages and families and temples of stone and vines and branches. Um, but so it's this personal, this mixture of the personal and, and the corporate, right? So as individuals, we come together and we make up uh, a church. So, so thinking more along those lines. Um, so this is in the foreword of this book. Uh, Mark Dever says this. Um, so being a Christian is a personal matter, but not a private one. I just found that statement really profound and I think really important for understanding what it means to be a healthy member of a church, a healthy sheep that's part of a flock, a healthy member of the household of faith. So, so what would you say is the difference there? What's the distinction that Dever is drawing between being a Christian as a personal matter, but not a private one? What's the difference between those two things? Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's right on. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, so, so we have this temptation uh, to put in... Yeah, absolutely, to, to make that an and, right? So, so being Christian is personal and a private matter. Right, it's it's what it's it's just what I believe, and it's about what I believe, and me and Jesus, and and that's it. That's what it is to to be a Christian, right? Um, so I think we we've stated this well, right? So the, I think the difference is um, so clearly uh, being a Christian is a personal matter, right? We must to be a Christian. One must have a personal relationship with Christ. You must put your faith. In Christ, that's a personal matter, right? It's it's about it's about you having a real, vital faith. Um, th- that's the only way we have Christians is by people, individuals turning to Christ and trusting in Christ. So it is a clearly personal matter. Uh, another way to say that is, um, no one becomes a Christian because of what their friends or their family does, right? Or even by the activities that they do. Right? You could come here and sit in a seat here and go through all the motions and yet never be a Christian because you've not made a personal
personal decision to trust Christ. In the same way, uh, your your family can love the Lord and serve the Lord and have a rich, deep, vital faith, and yet you not. Right? That doesn't it doesn't rub off. It doesn't come by osmosis. It's it's not something that you're born into or that you buy into. It's something that you are purchased into by Christ, right? So it's personal. And yet it's not private. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, And then, but it's not private because as was said over here, we are individuals who come to Christ, but that life in Christ is to be lived out in community, right? That's all those pictures that we just saw, right? Uh, to be uh, a sheep that's in a flock, to be a member that's in a body, to be a bride that's in a marriage, to be a member of a household. Those are corporate relational pictures that are together. Um, and I think it's really interesting um, I think it's really easy, actually, uh, to, to say that this idea of well, being a Christian is personal, but it's also just a private matter. It's just, you know, I can kind of do my own thing with me and Jesus. To say that that's a really modern Western American thing, but I don't think it is. Um, I think we've really mastered that in America um, because our country, our culture is uh, individualistic. I mean, we are about the individual. Everything is about me, right? The customer is always right. That's just the cultural, that's, that's the air that we breathe. It's the pull yourself up by the bootstrap, manifest destiny, pioneer, out on the plains by himself, stabbing out, making his own life, right? That's, that's, the, that's the American, it's like baked into our American DNA, um, that we're going to do everything just, just me, um, that is a pretty cultural thing. You go to other parts of the world even today, and there's much more intergenerational family interconnection. You're far more dependent on those around you. Um, but uh, we are also a part of that individualism that feeds that is our consumerism, right, where it's all about just me getting my stuff to make me comfort, to make me comfortable. Um, th- those things feed into this privatizing of, of our faith. Um, that just says, well, as long as I have a faith and I do what I want in that faith, um, then, I, then I'm good. And I can do that all by myself over here, um, apart from a body. Um, but I, I don't think it's a uniquely modern American problem. And the reason is uh, because of the New Testament, right? Um, the New Testament would not be written as it is if this wasn't a, a human problem. If we didn't have a human tendency to try and do things our own way, to try and put ourself first above everything else, um, to not want to submit to relationship with others. That is a human heart problem. Um, and that's, and th- that's, that's why we get the pictures that we get in the New Testament, right? If, if it was just obvious that when we come to Christ, we're then to be a part of a body and live together, like if that was just the most obvious thing in the world. We would not have to have that instruction in the New Testament. Paul wouldn't have had to keep telling the Corinthians over and over, like, body of Christ, members of one another, right? Like, he, he wouldn't have had to tell the Ephesians, hey, guys, submit to one another, have unity. He wouldn't have had to tell the Philippians over and over and over again to 
have humility, to submit, to count each other better than yourself. Like, because they weren't modern Western Americans, right? So, so this is a human challenge to just want to do our own thing and be in our own place. So taking all that, here's a question. Can someone be a healthy Christian and not part of a local church? Now, notice I didn't say, can they be a Christian? That's not the question. Can someone be a healthy Christian and not part of a local church? Okay, a highly qualified yes. Sure. Okay. Okay. So there can be transitional phases of life, but we'll just say this as a habit of life, as a lifestyle, as a choice. Can someone be a healthy Christian and choose to never be part of a local church? What do you think? Yeah. So I would say the answer. You're, you're, yeah. Uh, I would say the, the answer is no. One cannot be a healthy Christian and intentionally not a part of a local church for ever. Like, it's just a habit of life. Um, I would say, in fact, the New Testament has zero category for that. And that's in those pictures we just saw, right? Yeah. So, so the New Testament would, would really look at this book and say, shouldn't the, shouldn't the title really just be, What is a Healthy Christian? Right? Because New Testament speaking, Christian and church members are the same thing. Um, but then we can, so we can ask, well, what about Paul? Right? So what about Paul? Was he a member of a, because I've heard this argument. What about Paul? Well, Paul, how did Paul go out on mission? Anybody remember? He was sent by the church at Antioch, right? And did he go out by himself? No, he went out as part of a team, at least in a pair. At least. Though more often than not, it was a, it was a larger team. So you read his letters, he's got like all these people with him, right? Like all the time. Um, now, in in uh, Acts 17, he goes to Athens, he goes by himself. But that is a bit of an outlier. And when he gets there, what's he do? He sends for the rest of his team. And he's like, guys, come on and get here, or I'm going to leave and get to you, one or, one or the other. I also believe that when we look at the book of Acts and when we read the letters, Paul was actually a part of the local churches in the city where he started those church churches. So he invested his time in those believers and met with them and worshipped with them and fellowshiped with them as part of that church as long as he was there. Now there's also some uniqueness about what Paul did, right? He was doing like pioneer frontier missions work. Um, and so there's, that's just, but that's not the context we live in, right? But even in that, he kept himself connected to a team. And you remember what he did after his first missionary journey? Where'd he go? He went back to Antioch, and he reported to the church that sent him about how things were going, right? So even as he was out journeying, he stayed connected uh, to a local body of believers. Um, so even in Paul, one who we think of as kind of this, like, lone wolf guy who stabbed out on his own, well, that's not really what he did. Paul needed the body of Christ. Right? I mean, he, that's, he spends his letters saying things like that. Uh, so here's just quick, because of the time, um, just a few verses in Ephesians that I think picture this idea of 
how the church is is a body, how the church is a unity. Um, so Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, so he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've been called. How do we do that? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Those are corporate commands, right? Um, you can't be particularly humble, gentle, and patient on your own, right? Because there's there's nothing to elicit those uh, traits and attributes out of you. You most certainly cannot bear with one another if you're not connected to others, all right? So he goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No. Paul is assuming that that's actually how we'll live together in the church. Yeah. Well, that's why he commands it, right? That's why it's here, because he's assuming that we'll need those things with one another. He's assuming there will be times within the body that we will be less than patient, that we will be less than gentle, that we will have no desire to be humble among one another, right? He is assuming that we will, that people will have to bear with me and I will have to bear with others. Right. Yeah. Health, health does not mean perfection, right? In either, in, in either a family, in, in either a family or a church, health is not equal to perfection, right? Because that's just not the world we live in. Because what's a church besides a body and a grouping of redeemed sinners thrown together? And what are they going to do? They're going to sin against each other, right? In all types of different ways. Yes. Yeah. 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 God is telling us through Paul, this is, this is like, you're going to need this because you're going to get impatient with one another. You're going to, somebody's going to do something that's going to tick you off so much in the church, you're going to have to bear with that person. And you know what? They're going to do it over and over and over and over again, right? Because that's what it means to bear with, right? Because one time, ah, you can, you can kind of ignore it, right? But to bear with someone means that there are going to be people within the church that always grate on you for one reason or another. Maybe it's because they are always sinning against you. Maybe it's because, I don't know, they, I don't know, chew their fingernails. Who knows what it is, right? But it's, there is something that you have to bear with. And, and it's the same in your, your family, right? You've all got that distant relative that you see at Thanksgiving dinner that you must bear with, because we'll just assume it's distant relatives, right? Um, maybe. <laughs> yes, it grows. It ripens. Yeah, right, no. Yeah. 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 These are these are fruit produced in us by the Spirit. And so listen to what Paul says. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And and so so now watch why he tells us to do all of this. So he says so, so live this way. Why? Because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What he's saying is, live up to what you are. Live out, grow into what you already are. See, he's saying that we already are one body. We already are one in Christ. We already actually have a unity in the Spirit that we've expressed through baptism, right? So, so he's saying that now, so, so the call is, as we come together as the church, is to live into that, to grow up into what we already are in Christ. And that's the encouraging part to me, right? That, that we can actually... Um, we can actually grow in humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with, and we can grow in unity and the bond of peace because we already are one body. Because we already are all united by one spirit. Because there already is one Lord and, and one faith. Because we've already been called to one hope and we already own it. Like this is a on some level, this is this is the reality. We are united. And so there is hope that as believers and as bodies that we can grow into what Paul is speaking of here because it's just simply growing into the reality that already is ours in Christ. Um, yeah. Um, so I would, I would just say right off that that bond of peace likely speaks very much to the peace that we have in Christ. So staying in Ephesians, going back to chapter 2, right? So Christ came and proclaimed peace to those who were far off and those who are near. And then believe also in Ephesians 2, uh, Paul says, He is our peace, right? So it's the gospel, what Christ has done for us, that is the, the bond of peace. That, um, yeah. So we've been reconciled, both of us, and, and Paul is saying Jew and Gentile, so all of us, dividing walls of hostility. So in, in Ephesians, that's uh, in Ephesus, that was the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. For us, it's whatever dividing wall our world would want to erect between people, be that um, ethnicity or race or gender or political affiliation or economic standing or whatever dividing wall that our world can throw up because we can do it with everything um, that those are leveled um, because none of those things are what bring us access to God it's Christ our peace is through him and so there's that bond of peace it's, it's Christ it's the gospel that bonds us together that brings us peace um, and since that's the reality we seek to maintain that Right? Um, because what, what do we want to do? We always want to look at what we have and, and, and what someone else doesn't have and elevate ourselves over them. Right? And we're like, well, I'm actually, I'm actually the better Christian here because I don't do what this person does. Or that person does this and, and I don't, so I'm, I'm better. Right? And so we always seek to give something else that gives us that edge. And, but Paul's like, no, 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 no. Um, unity and the spirit and the bond of peace because all those things have been flattened out at the cross and you've been made you've been brought to peace with God through Christ so that's how I that's how I'd answer that so we'll jump into uh, into the content of this in a couple weeks um, in two weeks from now so if you want to order yourself a copy what is a healthy church member and we'll go through chapter one 
in two weeks, which would be the 29th. And this is, I bought, I bought a used copy, so um, used very good, it says. Um, so, uh, yeah. All right, let me close this in a word of prayer. So, Father, thanks for today. Thanks for this time we've had to gather together. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and for dying for us, for purchasing us as your people, um, and for giving us the gift of your church. Um, that we don't um, have to live our life in you on our own, but we live it with brothers and sisters who encourage us and spur us on, and um, that you use us in each other's lives to sanctify, to grow, to make us more like you. Um, so, Father, we look forward to the day when we will all be um, perfectly like you, gathered around your throne, worshiping you for all eternity. So we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.